Hi, this is Das Mortal, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to the Paradise Arcade with Kyle and Eric, promoting synthwave music and culture. Welcome to another episode of the Paradise Arcade. Today we have very, very special guest with us, Das Mortal. Thank you for being on the show today. I oh, know. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate having you on here. All right. So before we get in too far, because I've learned my lesson. Please follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, also, you could find our podcasts pretty much on almost all the platforms. So like, share. I f- always forget that. Share it, comment. We've had some really good comments lately, in interactions with people, and I really appreciate that. So please do that. Also, for everything main hub-wise, uh, info, things that are going on, go to the paradisearcade.com, and you'll find some more additional info and cool stuff there, uh, like Cat Temper's little blog that he does on whatever he decides to do in the moment. <laughs> All right. that he does. Let's go. All right. So for everyone listening, it's Chris. We won't call you Das. Although <laughs> that, That's fine. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool. Uh so, Mr. Mortal. Mr. Mortal. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mortal. <laughs> uh, so can you uh, talk to us about what's been going on in the last year of your life with COVID? Um, well, I mean, to be honest, not that much since we haven't been able to do live shows and all that kind of stuff uh, since COVID. Um, but at least one thing happened. Uh, the last album got released. Yes. And uh, the Miami Beach Witches album that had been in the works for a little while. Um, and I mean, honestly, other than that, like there's a, there was a video clip released as well to promote it. It was awesome. And uh, normally there would have been like a, how you call this, like a, a release party show for it, but obviously it couldn't happen. So right now, at least we think we might be able to do it in the month of uh, April, I think, but I'm still having real big doubts uh, of that actually happening. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that that's pretty um, um, optimistic because most people I've talked to are like, yeah, we're not going to perform until 2022. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it depends also depending the region. So here in, at least in, in Quebec, they were thinking of maybe, you know, like uh, loosening uh, the restrictions a bit. But I feel that even if it happens, I don't feel a lot of people are still feeling safe enough to just go out to shows. And at the same time, you got people who are really pumped to finally go out to see a show and stuff. But um, I think just for the the sake of, you know, people's health, I don't think it should really happen by then i should i really think we should wait maybe to the next year before we actually do something i agree with you on that i i am both a person who is very pumped to go see shows again very excited but uh i don't think i'd 
be comfortable doing it anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like uh, there's a lot of uh, of us had already planned shows and also tours and all that kind of stuff. Right. But to be honest, I think as much as we want to do it, you know, it also feels really good not doing it just because it's, it's also for our own good, right? Yeah. And it involves traveling so much all the time and being around so many people, so many different people every single day. So it's, it's such a hazardous, um, you know, like way of life with, with how the world is right now. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it should happen at least until next year. Yeah. I'm really, or everybody's like vaccinated. Or right. And I was yeah. really bummed because you had a tour planned with Dance of the Dead, right? That was going to be last year. Yeah, we, we had two tours together. We had one in Europe that we actually managed to do. And right when we came back and we were about to start the, uh, the American one, uh, you know, the, the whole COVID was already just going uh, full on and we got quarantine and everything. So, I mean, that happened. That sucked. But in the same time, I'm just, like, I remember when that happened, we were kind of, you know, like all of those things are, are contracts, basically. So it's like if you, you can't really break from the contract of going to go play places that if you promised to play. And we were all waiting, just, you know, the promoters telling us like, yeah, we got to cancel. And it took like forever to, to tell us. Like, I think it took like one week before like the whole world decided to shut down before we received the message being like, all right, we are officially canceling everything. Um, but like, for the longest time, we were just waiting for it because it really felt like crazy uh, just even thinking about doing it. But um, it sucks in the end, of course, but I'm all, at the same time, I'm so happy we didn't just like started it and like did one or two dates and then came back. Right. I think it was a better decision just to cancel the whole thing from the beginning. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's good precaution in a shitty situation. That's just really yeah, as it goes. So, but you were saying in this time you were able to get Miami Beach Witches released. So was that something yeah. that like tours canceled? You were able to actually finish uh, making the music, or how did that? What was that process? Well, you know the the, the process of making an album is uh, at least I guess when you're in a record label and everything, it's a bit different than when you're like self-publishing. Because when you're self-publishing, as soon as you finish something, you're probably just going to be like, all right, I'll, I'll release it. But when you're under a label, it's a bit different. There's this whole team that, like, once the, the album is, let's say, the music is done, there's this whole team who's like, their sole job is to do the PR, which is like promotion and all that kind of stuff. So what I'm getting to with that is that the album itself was finished a long time ago. Um, it, it, it just needed to go through many levels of like preparing the promotion and also just making the physical medias for them too because we wanted to release a vinyl and a CD. Right. Um, all of that stuff took time. Um, 
so when when the album actually got released it was already i think uh, at least music wise it was already done like maybe five or six months prior to that um but yeah like when you get all this the physical stuff and doing the promotion just like make, making the video clips um making the artwork you know finding the right person to do the artwork and giving them time to do it as well mm-hmm. you know it, it takes it takes a, a little while uh, which is different for example when it's self-published like i said like i could have done the artwork myself and as soon as i'm done i'll be like yeah i'm ready to release this thing but uh, it's a bit different when you're with a label because right. of course they they want they want you know like for it to actually be heard not that self-publishing cannot be heard it's just that um uh, they have the infrastructure you know they know the people to send it to and all that kind of like political stuff that goes behind it right it's a very complex thing behind the scenes when you're on a label yeah it's 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 a lot different like the dynamic is different for sure because i remember when i started you know i would just like i said just release stuff when i was done right like i was really happy to uh, like put it as soon as possible on the internet, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, under a label, it's a bit different. And at the same time, I do enjoy the, t- the fact that it takes a bit of time um, to be done because it, it also gives me a bit more perspective after it, after it's done. Um, I can be like, oh, you know, maybe I need to change a thing or two before it actually gets officially released. Right. Um, so yeah. That's interesting. Kyle, you have you have very strong opinions about this album. It's, I do, and I, you know, b- before I, I got into that, I wanted to ask, like, with with this release being, you know, with the record company and having more hands involved with it, um, with the with the final product, do you feel like that helped? That you you like the the outcome, the final product, more or less, or are you indifferent to it? Well, it definitely helps more in the sense that, um, you know, how could I say it? It's like, I feel like I have to do a bit less work directly all the time. I've just, uh, like, I just concentrate on making the music and that's it. Like, I don't have to, like, um, you know, for example, just for the artwork, let's say. You know, uh, I found the person who did the artwork uh, at the Montreal Comic Con like two years ago. I, like, um, she had like a booth at the Comic Con where she was just displaying her, her artwork. And I was like, oh, yeah, this really looks interesting. Um, I think I would really like something along the, the style she does for the next album. Because I already, already had the idea of what the album was going to be like. And, you know, like normally, uh, when you contact, try to contact people directly like that, they'll be like, yeah, you got to go to my agent and my blah, 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 and my blah, blah, blah. And um, when you have the record label behind you, like, I don't care. I just be like, yeah, I would like that person, please. And they're like, all right, we're going to do all the work we need to do in order to try to first get the person involved and also all the, the contracts that have to be signed in order to, to get the actual piece of work uh, and the rights for it to be, you know, distributed and all that kind of stuff that, that you know, it's, again, a lot of very, not political, but I would say, like, uh, business 
stuff. Right. Um, so that's what it impacts the the album wise. It's everything that is kind of business related. Like I want this guy to do the mastering. Well, all right, we'll try to get you this guy to do the mastering. Um, I like I want the vinyl to be this color. All right, we'll try to find you the place that is able to do this type of colored vinyl. I don't have to like do all the work myself. I just be I'm just asking what I want, and you know most of the time I get it without having to put the work in it. The only work I put in is having the ideas and making the music, and that really helps. At least uh, for me, it helps because doing music is not my full time job, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, it's more of a thing I do on the side when I have time to do it. So also like not having to put so much time, my own time, uh, for those kind of things, uh, really helps with the record label. Yeah, no kidding. So that's good to hear. It really worked out in your favor. You could, you just were able to say, these are the things that I want. And they made that happen for you. I like that rather than like, well, they had their own idea and they went with it and I had no control over it. Yeah, it's, it's well, you know, it's a bit different. It's a to begin with, like I've been with that record label. I don't know for how many years now, maybe like five, six, seven. I, I really have a hard time with time, especially now. And uh, but yeah, like they, it's a it's a smaller independent record label. So I really feel like they, um, how can I say, they they try to make the Das Moral project grow rather than. Uh, make profit of the Das Mortal project like a major label would, for example. Right. And um, also the reason I went with them, uh, you know, uh, all those years ago was because it was in the boom of, you know, what we called net labels, which is basically just uh, uh, labels that only exist on the web to publish stuff. Right. They yeah. don't necessarily even do like physical or, or any of that stuff. And I had a lot of um, requests to be in many let, net labels out there. And I never really felt like they wanted to actually make the project grow or help the project grow. They just wanted to have the music, right? right. We want to have the music and the only work we're going to put behind it would be posting it in our all of our social media platforms. And... Um, uh, with Lisbon Lux, which is the one I ended up signing with, I really f didn't feel that kind of uh, thing from them. I really felt like, yeah, we we like your music first and foremost. Uh, you know, we we like the direction you're you're taking, and we're looking for you know people who, of course, can help the record label, but we're also looking to help people make their project grow. And I was like, yeah, that's perfectly what I need, what I'm looking for. And that's why I went with them. And it's been going great ever since. And that's also, they help with the, for example, with the, with the, the tours, right? Like I don't have to, um, try to find how to do a tour anymore or deal with the promoters by myself. They, they all do that for me. So it helps. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, in a way you've kind of landed the perfect, the perfect place to be really as far as what i can tell yeah definitely and you know like in, in the end you know i just make, making music is just for fun 
right? Like I said, it's not my full-time job or anything. So they, they, they understand that. So the, the records get released when the records are made, basically. Um, uh, like I'm not having like a contract that is pushing me into like, yeah, you got to release two albums in the next five years or anything like that. Like I make music and they're like, all right, I think I have an album here. Can we start developing the, the release of the, the album? And then they do their thing. It's really cool. And I got, because of them, I got to meet a lot of people in the, uh, let's call it synthwave scene, I guess. Right. Um, that's how I met like Perturbator, Dan Terminus, um, the Dance with the Dead guys, um, all those people, all those opportunities like to do shows with them is a lot because of them. And of course, because of my music as well. But, you know, they, they helped a lot just have my name attached to all those things or like the Streets of Rage soundtrack, for example, all those kind of things. Um, it's a lot easier and it helps and I'm really happy where I am with it right now. That's awesome. The streets of rage soundtrack was the thing I was going to ask about. I was going, I was going to say like, (laughs) how did you get involved with that? That's amazing. Well, um, I I think the guys contacted the, the record label, the, 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 the guys who were making the streets of rage and, like I think the record label asked me, like, "Hey, we got this this game called Streets of Rage Four. Is it something you would be interesting?" The the guys from the the the, the video game company are really pumped, uh, and I'm like, "Of course," because I know exactly what the Streets of Rage um, series is, and it's been such an important series growing up as a kid. Like, I I've agree. had all the games. Right. And I think a lot of people, at least from my generation, you know, like in their 30s, um, grew with those games if they had a Genesis growing up. It's like, oh, yeah. If you had a Genesis or a Mega Drive, like you had either Sonic or Streets of Rage, absolutely those two games. I don't know anyone who owned a Genesis that didn't have those two games in their library. So, um, and you know, the music is iconic in those games as well. Like, it's it's part of those classic soundtracks everybody talks about when they talk about classic game soundtracks. So I was super pumped to do it, of course, and I was so pumped that I was like, "All right, guys, I'm gonna send you tracks right away." And I think in a week I made two songs for it, and uh, and <laughs> and like like. Two weeks later, they, they were like, oh, yeah, 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 but we, we want you to do one specific part of the game. And, uh, oh, okay. I was like, all right, I'll, because I just did music. I sent them two songs that, like, immediately got me inspired once they asked me to do, to be part of the project. And um, then they were like, no, we want a specific part of the game we want to, want you to concentrate on. So they sent me all this, uh, like a PDF document which has, you know, images of the the all the artwork they had so far with like a little description of what the the section I was be gonna be working on, and then it says like final boss of the game transforms into a robot, and I'm like holy shit this is <laughs> this is a really important <laughs> really important part of the game not not that I'm saying that any other parts is less important or whatever. But I, I really felt like, um, how can I say, like, uh, 
I don't know, like flabbergasted that I got offered to do the final boss of the game. And um, and yeah, that got me pumped, and I just made another track right away. And uh, it wasn't really hard, right? I, I, I think I sent them a song, and they asked me for like one modification to it, which was really minor. And and that was it. Like, and of course, then afterwards, I think it got shown for the first time with uh, a trailer for the game, not the main trailer, but I think the trailer introducing the character Adam. And then once it got an, it got shown, I think it was during a, like a Nintendo Indie Direct or something. Like I started receiving a lot of messages being like, holy shit, man, you're on Streets of Rage. And I'm like, yeah, bro, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Since when? <laughs> like, of course, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, again, like you're not really allowed to tell any of that info until they, uh, you know, publish any of that info. Right. right. Um, so, um, so, yeah. And of course, I'm. I feel really, really proud of what I did for Streets of Rage, and I'm so happy to be part of it. And I'm also so happy for all the other artists that were in it. And uh, and yeah, right now it's like a really prized piece in my my living room. It's like the the video game and the the the, the soundtrack is there as a prized piece of the stuff I've accomplished in life. I guess that's awesome. I would definitely say if if I had any talent for making music and if I had the opportunity to do something for Streets of Rage, I feel like that would be the ultimate honor. In my perspective, since I love the game series and the music in that so much, that would be, that would really be it. Yeah, of course. And there's such a, like a following already. And that's kind of could have been like a little scary stuff, I guess. Uh, you know, like you're like, oh, but I gotta do honor to uh, Yuzo Koshiro's music, and I gotta do honor to all the legacy of the Streets of Rage stuff. But honestly, when I did it, I really didn't feel any pressure. I was just so pumped to be part of it to begin with. And then when they added the fact that it was for the final bus, it was like, all right, I know exactly what I need to do. I, boom, and is it? And I'm really happy of the reception as well for the song. I love it. I own the vinyl soundtrack because you're on it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. To... It really means a lot. Like, you know, like, like I said, I'm I'm part of the, the, the fan base. Definitely part of the fan base. So it's really like an honor when you get up or something like that, for sure. Yeah. So we're talking about Street Rage 4. Uh, yeah. We want to talk about Miami Beach Witches. Yeah. Cause, uh, so Colin and I, we, we got tuned on to this a little later maybe. And, mm -hmm. um, I think for us, it's both our album of the year of 2020. <laughs> oh, geez. Thanks, man. It, it definitely, <laughs> cool. it, it, it definitely is. And, and we had to revise that because both of us got it now in 2021. And mm -hmm. I, I really feel the the regret for sleeping on it because i got always loved you know quite some time back when it was released i had been into yep. that 
I wasn't able to get um, the Hotline Miami EP that you did when it was released on vinyl, unfortunately. And somewhere in between all this, you know, with record releases coming out fast and furious, I, I didn't get this one as soon as I should have. And when I got it, I was like, holy shit, this album is incredible. It's an incredible album. Eric and I both agree. It is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's high praise. And I just, I think um, it's so refreshing and thematically and just like it hits all the sweet spots. And so I'm just really curious uh, to hear your thoughts on that album um, and what went into it a little bit. Well, um, you know, the, the way I feel I make even EPs or albums or whatever. And honestly, right now, there isn't that much material for myself out there. Um, there used to be more, but um, we, we took a lot of it down when I signed to the record label, which was fine by me because I, I was trying to to make sure that the whatever got released from that point on would always be um, of a good quality. Because, you know, like I said, when I would just self-publish stuff, I just would release whatever I did and you know sometimes it didn't have a lot of cohesion um, but after that uh, I always wanted to every release to be kind of have a team behind it so I would always do like um, I would say like an imaginary film I would think of an imaginary film in my head and the albums and EPs are basically the soundtracks to those stories I make. And Miami Beach Witches was just a, it was a bunch of things. Um, spe specifically, my love for a movie called The Craft, which is a movie. <laughs> yeah. From, you know, it's like a, I guess a teen yeah. horror, but not really horror uh, fantasy movie. Mostly, I think geared toward like a females more than guys but i remember when i saw it as a kid or a younger uh, like preteen i i thought it was super cool and i really loved the the theme of that movie of like these girls you know that feel like they're kind of a bit of misfits they're not really like part of any group of the, the you know the usual high school groups uh like the jocks and all that kind of thing and they bond over this witchcraft thing, which I thought was really, really cool. And um, the album came from like imagining like some sort of different parallel story to the craft, let's say, where like the the, the teenage witches, instead of you know um, praying for the usual you know demons that are common in like Western culture. Um, I wanted them to be more like devoting themselves to the HP Lovecraft lore creatures instead. So it was kind of a fusion of like, what if the craft teenage witches were into HP Lovecraft instead, uh, or the monsters I and, love this. you know, Cthulhu, Azatoth, and Yoxagot, and whatever other creatures, cosmic horrors he created and people have created since. And um, so I made this story in my head 
Right, which was, you know, nothing really, I would say nothing interesting story-wise to tell you what it is. But to me, it gives me, a, I would say, like a, a line, a conducting line that I can follow and make my music for it. So I, I'm like doing the soundtrack for that storyline, basically. And it gives, I feel, a more cohesive experience for the album rather than just being random tracks I made in the past year, right? Right. Um, and that's pretty much how it came out to be. And I also wanted to like um, have inspirations from more 90s stuff rather than 80s specific stuff um, in the sounds um, of it, as well as the teams, for example. Like instead of being the, there, there isn't very much like teenage stuff of witches stuff from in, in the 80s. It's more like in the 90s was like, Sabrina, the teenage witch, and the craft, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I was trying to like um, take more inspiration from the '90s than the '80s. And of course, you know, like I've grew up in the '80s, no matter what. So um, that still comes in through in the music I do as well. You know, the '80s sound will always, I think, be in there. But I wasn't channeling channeling it specifically for that album i think that's the best way to go about it i think just letting your influences be influences and not being like overly like conscious of trying to like attain a specific sound uh because yeah, like definitely. so like when i listen to it and maybe kyle will agree or disagree but when i try to describe the album to people what i say is it's like portishead meets trev or something a little bit that's cool it's a little trip hoppy um which is like the 90s kind of thing but then it also Mm -hmm. has some very mellow vocals to it um and i think like i think that's an easy access point for people to kind of understand where the album lays and obviously it also has really surprising influences it's it almost has like a bit of like salsa because it's got like some congos and other kind of sounds in there that are really I think make it really unique and and I like the fact that you mix things that don't seem that they should necessarily go together. Mm-hmm. And I ju- I just find that really interesting and refreshing and like and then you just it's your own thing and it's not trying to be synthwave or 90s or whatever it is it's just you. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that's, you know, like when you listen to that album or, or even the 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 one prior to it always love, you know, I don't think I ever try to like let's say do what we call synthwave music nowadays like that never was like a direction that i was trying to take it's just where how how make music leads me to it but it also leads me to other types of music like more techno stuff more electro stuff and and i think that's why for example miami beach which is you know it's not all the same at all it's not like all the same speed that's the same energy at all like the voice is a very techno track and then you got something like wicked desires which is more of a the page mode type of track yeah and you got the miami beach witches song which is, was more of a uh what's it called i think it's called miami sound machine yeah 
I think was the band yeah. uh, with Gloria Stefan, um, which was kind of like a, a nod to that, like a more, not tropical, but like that Miami vibe, right? That you were kind of uh, <clears throat> saying with those conga type of sounds and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that that's what I, I like in the music I do is that I try to just do anything that uh, is not necessarily very specific. It just ends up having influences from a lot of stuff. And the fact that I have like a storyline in my head of it makes it that, yeah, even if you're going from all those kind of different genres of songs, you can still kind of feel that it's all coming from the same place in the end. Right. Yeah. And I, and I will say like, because you'd have different, um, you know, songs with different tempos and things of that nature, it has movement to it. It, I really like the fact that you can sit and listen to it as a complete package and it keeps you engaged. Cause I think if you had a, uh, an album, 10 songs or whatever it is, and they were all mm -hmm. the same tempo, you would lose interest in that album. And yeah. I think you've got non-vocal tracks, vocal tracks. You've got some really good atmosphere building. I would say maybe interludes, that are worked into that that really help overall build the the album up as to being really engaging and that's you know for me one of the reasons why it ended up at the top of my list and there was a lot of really good releases in 2020 but it like it took over those other things um just because of like i think how fresh and how engaging and how listenable it is you can just put it on listen to it enjoy it start to finish it's good. And the package, the vinyl package is, I just I, did a chef's yeah. kiss. I was just going to mention something <laughs> about that. I was going to say that uh, the music got me first because I listened to it digitally before I got my physical copy. And, yeah. you know, I, I agree with Eric. I mean, just the way that the whole album flows, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. Uh, but you're not like too excited. <laughs> you're not going to fall <laughs> off your seat, but you know, you're really engaged in it. But uh, once I did get my physical copy, uh, the jacket, the complete package is one of the most luxurious releases <laughs> that I have on vinyl. It's just, it's absolutely stunning in person. It's perfect. It's beautiful. I highly suggest those that are listening. If you, if you can get it and hopefully there's plenty of copies left. It is excellent. the The gold foiling <laughs> is like ah, oh, it's such a good touch. The, it's the, the right... texture to the rest of it, though, yeah, just the way it feels in your hand, and then the inner, uh, the the sleeve that the actual record is, and inside oh. too, with the different artwork <laughs> on it, Oof. and the color, the mm, the colors are great. Oh yeah, I remember we had such a hard time with the colors too. Um... Because there's this thing called CMYK or RGB, yep. which are like two types of um, of how color is mixed, basically. And it, originally, the it was made in RGB, and it the the place we we were gonna make the the vinyl, uh, print the vinyl and everything, they were not accepting RGB colors, and the and we had such a hard time finding like a different recipe for the colors to work with CMYK. And now that I look back at it, I prefer so much more the CMYK color, which is what the actual final product is. 
than what we originally had when it was in RGB. And and yeah, it, it really it's it's really cool to hear people like you really loving the physical product itself because there's so much work that is put behind it, right? Um, I, I feel like the music in it could be crap, at least <laughs> the physical <laughs> stuff that you got. You got your money's worth out of just the physical, oh, you know, sure. vinyl of it. Yeah, as you said, you it is. Kyle's saying it's a luxury. It feels luxury. It is a luxury product. And like, this is some. As Samuel L. Jackson would say, "Like this is some gourmet shit right here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's rare, you know, because Kyle and I are big vinyl heads so we we just that's what we use we buy vinyl records all the time so to have that and yeah. just it the tactile feel of it is different and then just you could tell so much thought went into it it wasn't just like well here's the cover here's the back cover here's the back cover and then slap a label on it and you're done like the fact that like inside the record itself has artwork in it and it is just it's really good and i have no, a lot thank of you, vinyl. Man. thank I, you I've got many releases and many things that are like special editions and say that they're done really well. And this, uh, this surpasses them all. So that's that's my artwork appreciation rant here. Yeah. That's why it landed in retrospect album 2020 of the year. It could have came in in like a garbage bag, the final product. (laughs) And I still would have said it was the, I still would have said it was the vinyl album of the year. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's uh, making, I, I feel like, especially in the, the, the scene I am in, the you got to put a lot of effort in making sure that um, the, the physical format, when you do release a physical format, you know, is, is, is tight, right? Yes. Because the fans of the music in the scene are so passionate like so passionate like way more than like i remember i used to dj a lot of like uh techno stuff and i never had the 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 fans be so passionate as in like this i guess synth wave scene i guess they are so passionate and they're so geek and and i'm not saying that in a negative way i'm saying it in a very the most positive way it is it's just people that you can really feel understand how much work is put behind everything right yeah it's interesting uh you yeah go on go on uh i'll say i I just sense this reticence about labeling yourself like synthwave like you just you're kind of like i'm here but i i'm here by accident like yeah yeah it is that to be honest (laughs) So it's it's definitely that. Uh, so techno seems like more your traditional background, and then you evolved into what the current what you're currently are basically. Or well, I I went to many phases, I guess. Um, I think when I I really started listening to electronic music really seriously, I was a lot more into IDM music, so I was into Otaker. Apex Twin, Square Pusher, and Square Pusher, yeah, exactly. I was really into that. Then morphed into like drum and bass jungle 
So like, let's say a lot of what Square Pusher kind of sounds in, but more or less, I guess, cerebral, right? Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then morphed into techno, then electro, and I stayed in electro for the longest of time. And I think still feel like I'm more electro and techno than synthwave is. It's just I feel that with time, um, you know, like my influences got more and more uh, in, like, inside the music I make and listen to, right? Because yeah. um, at the beginning, like, listening to IDM, and I love IDM, but it was just because it was such a, I guess, like, intense music that I, had, I couldn't hear anything similar to that. Right. right. Um, so it was like, so it's like discovering this kind of thing that is so alien, and you're, I, I was fascinated by it. And then, like, my music was a bit like that, but eventually, it just morphed into what my my influences of the the, the culture I consume started to influencing my sound a lot. And I grew up like watching a lot of eighties horror movies. Uh, listening to a lot of 80s music as well and like i'm not trying to reproduce any of that right it just happens that when i do music that gets uh that layer gets on top of what i do and and i feel that's how the synthwave like kind of label came into it um i was just doing music that for me was like, oh, I'm doing a, re- a really cool slow tempo electro song. And, you know, then people started just like sharing it in synthwave forums or you know, blogs was the big thing back then. And it's like, hey, bro, you know this guy called College? I was like, yeah, I know him. Um, you sound a lot like him. And I, oh, yeah, I sound a lot like College. And I was like, all right. And of course, that's many years ago. And then it's like, hey, bro, uh, you know this guy, Perturbator? Yeah, I know this guy, Perturbator. You have some tracks that have that kind of energy. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, and that's how the, the, the synthwave thing kind of started growing up. And still to this day, I really don't define myself as synthwave at right. all. And I kind of always feel like kind of like imposter syndrome in the scene a sure. little bit. Also, just in making music, I always feel imposter syndrome in it. But also in the synthwave scene, I always feel like I'm just there kind of by mistake just because there's maybe one song here or there that got labeled like that. But in the end, you know, when I, I see fans or you guys and listen to my album and, you know, tell me that they enjoy it, I, you know, it, it feels really good to know that... Uh, my music is still enjoyed no matter what label you put on it in the end for sure it sounds like in a way there's a couple things uh, thoughts that i have it's it sounds like you got out of your own way making music so instead of saying like well i need to sound like idm i got to do all these really complex things and make it really cerebral you're just like you just you just let it out and then it's more i would say where idm is cerebral your music is a little more moody a little more Depeche yeah. Mode, a little more, you know, like, hits you in the feels a little bit more. And Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I think when you start making music, a lot of the time you're trying to reproduce things you hear, not imitate them, just kind of 
you know, reproduce a bit what you're listening to. And that's how I started. And then eventually, like you say, I just found my footing into what I actually do rather than actually what I listen to. So that's going to be an interesting. So do can we expect something maybe completely different? Because I feel like on the next release, because I feel like Always Loved and Miami Beach Witches, they're distinct in their sounds and their presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we, I mean, I would imagine then we can expect another shift a bit because it, if you're just doing music in the moment of who you are, it's obviously yeah. going to be a little bit different. Yeah, I think for, I think for sure it might not happen. You know, I don't know when the next album or release would would be right, and uh, I don't know also in advance how how I'll be feeling or what it's going to be influencing me a lot at that time. Um, but yeah, I would say that yeah, the next release would definitely have a shift. You always hear my sound. You know, you can always kind of recognize like patterns in the music I make that are from me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's always shifting. And I think that's a good thing. And uh, I think it's a, it's important because it shows that the person making the music is growing, right? And, you know, it, it, it might not appeal to the, the hardcore listener of, let's say, Always Love. It might not appeal to the hardcore listener of that anymore, but you know, maybe it will, because he's also going to be growing as well, musically-wise, of what he loves and likes to listen to. And, yeah, I, I think that's important. And also, like, my favorite albums and artists in the past always enjoyed uh, more the bands that have, you know, changed their music. Like, Daft Punk is the... It's like an example I always give. Um, when you listen to Homeworks and Discovery and then... Uh, what's the other one? You and After All, I think. Um, com- three completely different style of music in those three albums. One really house, kind of hard house, then very disco, then really cold electro. And and I think that's what I like those artists are justice. And I, I feel as an artist, you cannot just keep running in place. Because if you keep running in place, trying to always do what you've been doing, even if it works, right? Um, just you, you know, people are going to enjoy it again. If you're always moving in place, you're not really evolving, and you got to take risks. And for me, Miami Beach, which is to me, it felt a bit like a risk because I was like, I'm not sure if the people who loved, always love, will understand some of the directions in Miami Beach witches. Um, but in the end, I feel that paid off because I made an album that, to me at least, it feels more superior in terms of the technique and also where the music comes from. And, you know, people still enjoy it mm-hmm. uh, in the end. And yeah. the, the next album, who knows, I'll be maybe doing some disco music. I don't Do know. Do it. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely along for the journey because I will say I was one of those people who was a hardcore fan of Always Loved and then Miami Beach Witches came to me and as I'm growing as a person who appreciates music this was right exactly what I needed on my journey 
mm-hmm. right time, right place. And even if, uh, you know, the funny thing is that I've talked to some other artists um, about their music, maybe that they released, I didn't get at first, but I did come back around to it. I didn't have <laughs> that experience with, with the Miami Beach Witches. It was an instantaneous, like, oh, I get this. I love this. This is exciting. And, you know, I make time. I try to listen to it, like, parts of it at least once a day in my musical listening repertoire, if you will. Um, just because it has all those different yeah. moods and different things, and that's the same album can hit different different things um, for me, and that again just makes it infinitely listenable. I like that the first thing that you told me about it when I told you to go listen to it was that it gave you like literal goosebumps. Yeah, yes, it did. <laughs> and that you know, you know, Kyle and I are both music freaks, so. Uh, I think that, you know, it's one of our things that we really are passionate about and we really engage in. And that's, you know, so when something can really strike a chord, I will get literal goosebumps from listening to music. And it it doesn't happen as much anymore, but it was definitely like, okay, this is, I I completely understand what this is. Oh, man, thank you. Um, You know, it, it means a lot to me, you know, as a, also as a fan of music in general to hear things like that right because just like you guys you know i i I buy my vinyls and and i'm a big fan of many artists right um and you know like when you do get those goosebumps listening something like that it doesn't like like you say it doesn't happen as much anymore right now um but when it happens it's, it's kind of magical right yeah, it's it's a it's a really special moment you get to live, and um, and yeah, and uh, I, I I wish I could do more music and uh, make people have those moments more often, but uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, make, making music is something that for me it's not something that I can uh, you know force. It just happens when it happens. Yeah, um, and hopefully you know it happens often enough that you know it, it doesn't become irrelevant irrelevant anymore and um and i can do live shows and meet you know meet fans with it and also meet you know people i listen to right for example like perturbator when i started touring with him i was already a fan of perturbator and it was such a cool thing just getting to hang out with him and tour with him yeah that's um, gonna be amazing yeah, and that's a really, I think it's a really fun part of the, let's call it the music business, at least this more underground music business of it. It's such a fun part. I find just meeting fans and not just fans of my own stuff, but just people who are so passionate about the music in general and all these other subjects like movies, video games. It's so cool. And that's why I said earlier, like, the, the, I find this, this scene it's filled with people who have a lot of passion. It's, it's so nice to see, right? Yeah. Speaking of movies and, and video games, what are some of the, the movies that influenced you um, that you've carried with you? Um, there's a lot, but most of the time it's, uh, I would say the things that have influenced me the most were horror movies growing up, just because... Um, there was this video rental store that my father used to go, which would um, 
get, have this deal where you could, I think, rent three movies for three days. So my father will always be like, all right, you can pick one of the three movies. And I always pick like horror movies because the horror section. And I, I know people who love horror would know exactly what I'm talking about. They, they always, those VHS back then used to have like the coolest artworks on them. And as a kid, you, you like you just get attracted to that artwork, intricate, like and if it, even if it's like gory or whatever, there was also so many times so many cool artwork attached to it that I would always rent the movie having no idea what the movie was about and and just because of the artwork itself. And then I would watch the movie and I would really enjoy whatever horror 80s horror movie I had rented. So, and, and I remember one of the ones that really marked me a lot was at some point I started renting the Halloween movies. And of course, the John Carpenter soundtrack was really iconic. Uh, but then at some point I got to the third movie, which fans will know it's the one that doesn't have Michael Myers in it anymore. Right. It's, it's like the Season weirdest of the, one of the, of the whole exactly season of the witch and but that movie marked me because it's also i think one of the first one that doesn't use the halloween team anymore actually i think none of the songs in none of the music in the third movie is the ha the halloween soundtracks from the past or afterwards as well and i thought the soundtrack in that movie was so cool it's exactly what nowadays people like listen to Stranger Things soundtrack is. Right. It's ex it's it's exactly what was done in Season of the Witch. Um, and and that one marked me a lot. The whole the whole the sound of the synthesizer, the sequences done on the synthesizer, um, it was super influential. Um, I don't think it. I, I knew it was as influential as it ended up being in my music career when I started. It's something that I just kind of realized later on. Um, so there's definitely, I would say, that movie and any other 80s movie, especially horror movies in general, would be in there. But I think Season of the Witch was one really important one that when I rediscovered later on, I was like, holy shit. Like the, that that melody I've been humming all the time that like I didn't know where I, I took it from was from that movie, um, and and then I just realized that that was some something that I was heavily heavily like influenced in the music I was making then, and that I'm still making today. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I can sense that. I can I see where that comes through in your own music, and um, and maybe even a bit interestingly because when you're talking about season of the witch, it brings me to the it comes music video a bit. Yeah. Because it it sort of gives me that moody, John Carpentery mm -hmm. vibe to it. Um, was that like how heavily were you involved in that clip? Um, I think, uh, 
like I I was looking for directors. Like the director labor was we would maybe enjoy having it comes as one of the the singles released for the album. And they asked me, do you know of any like directors who would uh, enjoy having the, the 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 music video directed by? So uh, I, I gave them the name Ke- Kevin Funk, which is the director of It Comes, which I had seen videos of him for this artist called Trust. I don't know if you know him. I don't actually. Um, I think it's it's spelled T R. ST or TR like slash ST. Gotcha. Which is, which is, um, I, I, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it's kind of a, the new, new wave. Like if new wave was done today, I guess. Ooh. Kind of music. Um, I think if you enjoy like Trevor something, you might enjoy Trust a lot um, as well. Um, and uh, he had directed the videos for Trust, and I really enjoyed the the, the 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 moves he did for his videos. So I was, um, yeah, I would really like a, maybe this guy to work on the It Comes video. So then we get we get in a in a phone call together with the director, and he asked me, well, do you have any direction of where you want this video to come? And I'm basically telling him the whole thing with the craft inspired um uh, album in general and uh, we come up with uh, the idea that we want to represent witches basically and that's how i think as far as my input for that video went into it's like i just would like to see a bunch of witches <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yeah and um you know it would it definitely sounds like a few um uh, what we call treatments, right. which is basically just uh, uh, like uh, I would say, like documents telling, having images of like what he thinks he wants the the video to look like, and um, what the storyline of the video would be, and uh, and that's how how it came about, and what my involvement with the video <laughs> was basically. Well, I think the director very clearly took your words um pretty well because you really get from what you've talked about the album and your influence that comes through in that music video so good job to him because i think i love that video that's what you know having a director that it's picking the right director makes for you right like it's gonna pick somebody who does who has maybe a greater portfolio than he had and you could have done something completely awful. You just got to make sure you're working with a director that understands exactly what, where you're coming from, basically. And like you said, I think he definitely nailed that part. He understood what the, the themes of the album was, other than just being witches, right? Right. Um, it's more of a mood in general and aesthetic that is followed. Because you can, it could be uh, like, it could have become like Sabrina the Teenage Witch with Melissa Joan Hart. It's still witch, <laughs> right? Yeah. Related. It's just not the same, uh, the like the same tone. So we definitely knew what the tone for it was. Right. And and yeah, it's more like the witch with the VVs, 
but in modern yeah. times, not Sabrina yeah. the Teenage Witch. Exactly. Yeah. Living deliciously. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is there uh it talks about any more videos? I would love to see a video for Age of Solitude. I would I would agree. Um, you know, it's a, it, it all depends basically. Um it's uh you know, making videos is it's a uh, expensive. It costs money, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um and the second thing is also the COVID situation uh, also doesn't help much. You always got to try to find, you know, teams that can work within the COVID restrictions. And you also have to find, I guess, storylines that you can tell or something that you can shoot that is COVID friendly. Let's right. Say. Um, and sometimes, you know, like... Uh, People are able to do all that without compromising the end result, but it, it's hard. And uh, and and yeah, right now it's I would say not a, a big priority on how the things are happening here, at least in Quebec. Sure. Because um, filming right now here in Quebec, it's 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 like. It's like minus twenty degrees outside. It's uh, oh, finally you're everywhere. colder than us. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy. We've been just getting out of our our little. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah, we were yeah. we were negative twenty not that long ago. So but fair and what is negative twenty Celsius <laughs> as compared to negative twenty? Why well, are you Celsius? doing Fahrenheit or are you doing Celsius? Uh, Celsius. <laughs> What is that? I don't even. Know. I I would have to look up what. The, I I know that negative forty is the same for both. Okay. Is it? Yes. Negative forty. All right. I thought well, it was. All I can tell you is that for us in Celsius, anything that's below zero is where the well. When you reach zero degrees Celsius, is when water turns into ice. Yes, thirty-two degrees for us. Okay, so we were yeah. just recently at negative twenty-nine degrees Celsius. Okay. <laughs> it was cold. Yeah, polar vortex, boo. Yeah, like it, exactly. If if it wasn't like bad enough because it was winter and it was COVID, we also had to have a polar vortex on top of it, which yeah. just made everything much worse. Oh, I, I bet you. <laughs> so, um, but at the same time, it makes people stay home, I guess, which is what yeah. you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> It's your uh, it's your pastime. It's your great passion. It's my passion. <laughs> Staying at home and not doing anything. That's completely true. I'd like to rewind in our conversation a little bit and please do uh, say something about you know you mentioned when you were a kid going to the video store and yeah. looking at all the artwork. I really feel, and I don't know if this is because I'm looking through rose-colored glasses or something but i feel like people today are missing out on that experience of going to the video store because you know as you mentioned whenever i would go the artwork especially on the horror releases was really something special a lot of the times that oh, was yeah. a lot better than the contents of the movie itself. most of the time yeah <laughs> yeah most yeah. of the times but it was something that really grabbed your eye that really got your attention that really got you thinking and I just remember like going to visit my grandma when I was a little kid and going to the video store out in the middle of 
nowhere in the city that she lived in. And one particular time went there and they had a huge, must have been four or five foot tall cutout uh, for whatever the current Critters movie was yeah. at the time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I just remember seeing that and as a kid feeling a mixture of emotions. First, I was like really excited, like, what is this? scared because i was like oh this is a scary looking thing and i never got to be the person who was allowed to make the 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 choice at the video store i never got to pick that up but i definitely would have wanted to see critters terrible movie that (laughs) that they are right but uh yeah just seeing that and having it catch your eye and it's you know people today they have they won't experience anything quite like that and I don't, you know, like I said, I don't know if I feel that way just because I was a kid and it was a new thing or if it was actually something, you know, I mean, magical. to be fair, kids are amazed by anything. So <laughs> are they now? I don't know. That's a good point. Well, you know, I don't know. I feel like, you know, like being old farts, I think it's easy <laughs> to tell that, you know, you know, kids today are, are missing out. And I, I feel, yeah, it's true in a sense. But at the same time, you know, times change. I'm sure whatever they're doing right now, um, like in 20 years from now, they'll 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 have the same dialogue basically on, on something different. Be like, remember the good old days of TikTok? Uh, kids nowadays don't know what TikTok was. What a great time it was. Yeah, they don't right? know about taking videos of you dancing. They don't yeah. know how great this is. I was literally just going to mention TikTok. the ALS challenge. What a great time. (laughs) Kids nowadays won't know what that was. The ice bucket challenge. Exactly. Tide pods. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody eats Tide pods anymore. Shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We used to be so much more uh, rebellious. We would eat Tide pods. Um, so yeah, I, I think they'll have their own thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, there's something definitely that is different. Is for of course just the, the artwork in general. I feel is is it's not the same, of course, for sure. But think, um, yeah. But you know, like uh, I think like everything it gets rediscovered over time, and then it'll get it will get. I don't know how to say like remixed. I guess in a sense, or revamped for the new era, I would I would say, it's for example like synthwave music. Synthwave music is not new, um, you know. Like like we were talking about John Carpenter, for example. Um, you know, like if we really want to go deep about it, we can say, yeah, well, yes, yeah, John Carpenter did synthwave way before the two thousands, way before Kavinsky, right? He is synthwave. Um, uh, but I think it's just like artists like Kavinsky or whatever you want to, whoever you want to name, for example, just re repackaged it in with the modern modern aesthetics and modern also sensibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for for example, for whatever like us as kids going to get VHS tapes and renting you know it'll eventually come back as a something different i'm sure just for the new era um just when you think about for example vinyls it's 
it's just that as an example vinyls was dead yeah many years ago many 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 years ago like people were changing were were like putting their their vinyl collection and vinyl record player in the dumpsters and changing everything to cds right and then people started putting all their cd collection in the dumpster and changing to mp3s and you know people afterwards were like when they we saw the resurgence of vinyl they were like oh well there's artwork now we, we can actually hold something that has artwork and you know they they they, they appreciate it now so something they 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 didn't know right they, they didn't experience earlier and now they get to re-experience it again mm-hmm. and i'm sure all of this will fade out again and it's gonna get picked up and remixed to whatever new formula it is in the future maybe like in 10 years from now the coolest thing will be to have cds again zip disc. for some reason yeah, yeah. bring back <laughs> zip discs please exactly <laughs> exactly wow kyle right? you really dug deep into a, a obsolete format i didn't dig deep that was right at the top of my mind right there that was the first thing i wanted to say you but didn't... yeah sure of course you know like i'm also a lot in the chip tool music scene and that whole scene uh, for those who don't know what it is it's just about making music uh, electronic music with like game boys and nintendos and all and all th- that whole scene is about repurposing that technology right yes lsdj uh, exactly so Watch it's just out for uh, snakes yeah it's it's all just reusing stuff that from the past right and and people are now discovering like oh shit what is that cool sound i never heard of it's something made with a game boy um right so i think i think all of that will get either like have a new life eventually because people are going to rediscover it in the future i'm sure it's it, it's always like cycles it's like it's like fashion you know it yeah. comes in cycles um but but yeah um it, it's just going to be like for the new age of in the future whatever it's going to be everything but, old is new again yeah but like to, to go to your point yeah i do for example miss going to like either a record shop or a rental store and just you know discovering things in the store rather than browsing it all on like a web page for example for sure yeah tactile things has more of a lasting impact and i was actually going to make a comment to kind of like you know what people are going to be complaining about in 20 years is i think the big difference is that now nothing everything is built around short attention spans you know it's Mm -hmm. if you can't get someone's attention in three seconds then it's then it's done it's 10 second video clips it's you know what i mean the there's no time to sit with an image or a piece of music at least in in regular pop culture the you know the top echelon stuff that's out there mainstream stuff there's no time to sit with your feelings and sit with your thoughts about a piece of thing and let it make you feel you know and that's really unfortunate i think that's going to be a different thing like what great emotional impact does a tiktok video instill into you other than maybe a little chuckle or you know you're amused and that's about it yeah 
Yeah. And so I think... Well, I mean, go ahead. People are going to get bored of that for sure at some point. Yeah. And that's where I think, like, there's almost a rejection of um, of that with within our community. But it's not just, like, Synthwave, I think we... A lot of people think of, like, the main um, drivers of the vinyl industry but that's actually not true because uh, we're you no. know that scene is very small uh comparative to all the record sales because i think the only format that saw any growth in the last three years has been vinyl and it's been i think something like a 500 percent crease increase year over year for vinyl records yeah which is insane which but that still only equals 500 million dollars or you know something along those lines Mm-hmm. But I think that's a stable. I think that might be a stable place now. I don't necessarily see it reaching huge numbers as it was in the '80s, where like that was just your format. That's just what you did. Yeah, I think it'll. I think that'll remain. Hopefully, because I love me some vinyl. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Let's get it. So you're a video game person. What yep. were some of your uh, some of the things that really um you enjoyed playing streets of rage obviously was your your Mm -hmm. deal you mentioned sega what else tell me about it uh i don't know to be honest there's so much stuff Uh, i've been collecting video games like as as long as i was able to like purchase them myself i guess um so for me one of the the biggest i i don't know i think I was really big into Turbo Graphics. Anything Turbo Graphics, no matter what it is, the crappiest game to the best game. Um, <laughs> that's you know what? That's also a, a, a medium where, yeah. especially the Japanese releases, uh, PC Engine, where yeah. you had again like the horror movies, just amazing artwork on the mm-hmm. the packaging for the game, and then the contents did not quite equal that. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was all about trying to sell you whatever it was, right? So they were just trying to catch your eye and give you this imaginary idea of how cool the game was with the artwork or the movie, whatever. And then you you, you pop in the video game and it's like, oh, all right, it doesn't look at all. You know, like Dungeons and Dragons was for me a lot like that, the Dungeons and Dragons games. Um, You'll have this amazing, beautiful artwork with dragons and skeletons and and then you pop in the game and it's like the most (laughs) boring thing to watch. Uh, At least, you know, like in like the Super Nintendo or Genesis era, the most boring thing. (laughs) Like, like you really had to work your imagination and pretending that those things look like the artworks you saw um, in the covers of them. But yeah, the, I, I had a lot of love for the TurboGrafx-16 because it was my first official console that I had growing up. Um, and I just loved the whole concept of what the machine was. It looked so cool visually. Um, and then I grew up a lot with this. The Dreamcast was like my second main important machine uh, growing up. It was the... Like for a lot of people, you know, they... they they enjoyed, for example, the Nintendo 64 because you could play four players in it. Like you didn't have to buy an extra thing to play four players. It sounds really ridiculous nowadays. You could play like 20 people in the same console. But back in the days, you had like 
inputs of how many controllers you could connect to the machine physically. And um, for me, the, the, the Sega Genesis was really cool for that because you could connect four controllers and uh, we would play like Quake Tree uh, all night, like split screen, four-way four split screen, running at like 15 frames per second. <laughs> oh, man. Split screen will never be a thing again, and that's kind of sad. Yeah, it is really yeah. sad. It is. It is super sad. Like just couch, couch games in general have been replaced by online gaming so much. And I, I thought to me that was such an important part of gaming um, when I was younger, just bringing your friends home and, right. you know, playing games with them. I played the uh, shit out of really GoldenEye with online. before friends. Yeah, I was going to say GoldenEye was really the thing. N64, you get four people together, play GoldenEye all night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it was crazy. And now it's really like something you wouldn't really imagine doing. Everybody's just connecting online, which is it's cool and everything. But you just don't get the, the same, I guess, ambiance, I would yes. say. Right? Um your brother can't fart on you while you're playing Golden Eye. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's not the, the same I you would... know, banter coming. You, you'll just hear another kid calling you a, a faggot yeah. on the microphone. <laughs> right. Uh, I was going to say, I would rather have the person that I know next to me insulting me exactly. than some random person spewing like the most hateful <laughs> stuff ever. Yeah. The, the most hateful things ever, like the most homophobic, like misogynistic thing yeah. ever. And it's like a six year old kid. Right. It's like, that. what are you, 13? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you are 13. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, it's completely different. Um, but yeah, v video games were a really big part of just growing up for me in general, as with movies. It's just that the. the you know, the, the greatest place to just lose yourself into all these kind of worlds or lose or just hang out with your friends. For sure. It was like the, the greatest thing ever. Is there anything in particular that you're playing right now? Um, I mean, right now I'm watching mostly my girlfriend play games more than I playing stuff. I, guess. I, I hear that. I hear that. Um, I get done from work so, and I'm like, I'm too tired. You play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, I've seen her play Bloodborne, which is like a Dark Souls type of game. Yeah. So uh, I enjoy watching her playing that. Or when I'm playing, we're mostly just playing Apex Legends uh, right now, um, which, I don't know, it's it's really cool, whatever, but I, I, it, I don't know, I just don't have any... I guess I don't have the same attachments to video games as I used to have. Not in the sense that I don't like them anymore the same. I just feel they, they I the I games are not trying to wall me the same way like uh, I don't know, like a Streets of Rage, for example, was trying to wall me back back in the days anymore. Yeah, I hear you. I, I'm much more interested in knowing about video games than actually playing them. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, Since I've gotten older, I have a serious motivation problem because it's after a soul-crushing day of work, I get home, and the idea of playing a video game just sounds great. <laughs> but being able to actually execute that is is really, really tough. 
And yeah. it, it typically has to be something just really amazing to get me to do that. And the mm. last game that really got me like that was Ghost of Tsushima. And yeah. I need something like that to just grip me again and get me back into it and get me out of my funk where I don't feel like doing anything. But you still collect video game stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, I have to be true to my hobbies. I'm not going to touch yeah. this thing, but I'm going to buy it. But uh, but yeah, I think also age changes a lot uh, of the dynamic with that as well. You know, like when I was a kid, I wouldn't mind playing a Final Fantasy game that lasted, I don't know, like 35 hours of gameplay. But uh, right now, I just can't really commit, I feel, uh, to playing those increasingly longer lasting game experiences anymore. I know it's hard. Um, it's really hard, yeah. It's rough. I, I hear that, yeah, when I was a kid, you know, playing the Final Fantasy games, I would get a giant bag of Skittles and, like, sit on the floor for 14 hours straight playing. <laughs> Holy shit. It'd be like, I'm not doing anything. I will maybe go to the bathroom <laughs> if I feel that ambitious, but I'm sitting <laughs> right here and I'm not moving. Of course, they didn't have any sort of uh, thing that I had to do other than play that game. That was the most important yeah. thing in my eyes at the time. And I wish I could go back to that. Yeah. I hear you. I don't want responsibilities. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, Chris, I, we really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on and talking about, um, everything that we've covered. It's been an honor and a privilege. So I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Um, but we're not going to take up any more of your time. So, oh. well, uh, hey, guys, just thank you so much for having me in your show. Yeah. Um, I would say it was an honor for me as well just to be here and and you know talk with fans. Again, it's it's always really cool to to you know talk to, like I said earlier to people who are as passionate as you guys. Awesome. Well, until next time, this is Eric. Yes. This is Kyle. Thanks, Chris. Okay.